0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another quality show for you. I'll have interviews with members of the Albany Empire As they get set to face the Carolina Cobras in the National Arena League Championship game Saturday at MVP Arena. And I'll speak with ESPN baseball writer and broadcaster Tim Kirkshin in an interview I did last Friday. We'll talk about the trades that were made last Tuesday and discuss the legacy of Vin Scully. Week four of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and week five starts Wednesday. And to give us a lowdown on what's happening at Saratoga is the Capital Region's premier horse racing writer, Mike McAdam. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. It's a, going to sort of be a quiet week this week, won't it be? well, you know, Obviously, we'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, yeah, Whitney week. Um, life is good. Life was good for life is good in that uh, Whitney race.
1: Yeah, um, the funny thing is I'm noticing today and and, a little, and yesterday was winning week is intense every week because there's a ton of stuff going on. I mean, everybody points toward the, or, you know, it's paying attention to the big race, but there's a lot of other um, stakes races that uh, just make it a very intense, busy week for everybody. Uh, and in the parallel universe, uh, the forces that be, you know, it was like 90 degrees every day last week in high humidity. And... and once we got through Whitney week, the, the weather has broken as well. So we get a relief this week. Um, you know, the 90s and humidity are gone. This front moves through. It's comfortable. You know, maybe it's not aesthetically pleasing to see gray skies and a little bit of rain, but we could sure use it, use the relief. And, and it sort of runs parallel to this week, which is um, – you know, very, very low intensity compared to last week. So uh, something's going on there with forces that are beyond our knowledge that, uh, you know, we got through that horrible heat wave last week that ran parallel to the crazy Whitney week, and now it's, you know, something's going on there. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm welcoming it, too. It's nice to get a little bit of breather this week, not only from the weather, but also, you know, how nuts it was uh, last week, um, you know, with all the stuff that was going on with the Whitney, and we can talk about that now. Yep. Um, uh, last Friday, we saw Golden Pale, who's the best turf sprinter in, in North America, uh, running in the Troy at Saratoga third year in a row that he's won a stakes race at Saratoga go back to him winning the Skidmore as a 2 year old um and it was just fun to watch this horse uh it the one thing that trainer Wesley Ward has been trying to do is develop some versatility in him and so that he's not just this front runner who just blasts out of there and, and wins on the front end, because he knows when he gets back to the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, which he won last year, 14-horse um, field, he's probably going to need to have some other tactics besides just getting to the front. Um, so sure enough, he kind of had a little bit of an awkward step, step at the beginning of the Troy, which put him behind some horses, which... You know, it didn't happen by design, but he's been training him to come from behind a little bit or stalk the pace. And so he immediately was presented with that scenario and handled it well, um, which bodes well for the Breeders' Cup later. Um, Wesley Ward also said they might want to try him on dirt so his next start will probably be in the feed except Keeneland on dirt which will help his uh, residual uh, stud value later when he retires um, moving on to Warlike Goddess who I voted for last year for the Eclipse Award for the top uh, turf female in the country and she didn't win because a horse from Japan came in and won the Breeders' Cup it was the only race she ran in, in the United States all year meanwhile Warlike Goddess had this amazing campaign, including, you know, winning the flower bowl in the Glen Falls at Saratoga. And she came back and won the Glen Falls again on Whitney day. Um, and then afterwards, Bill Mott said, you know what, instead of coming back in the flower bowl again this year, since they downgraded it from a grade one to a grade two, he might throw her in against males in the sword dancer, um, later in the meet instead of the flower bowl, which was kind of interesting. um, and then subsequently, I saw Dave Granning from the Daily Racing Forum quoting Mott saying, uh, I think Monday, that not only that, they might run her in the Breeders' Cup turf instead of the Breeders' Cup filly Turf Turf uh, when it comes to Breeders' Cup time. So that was kind of cool. Warlike got us um, best turf filly in the country at longer distances. We'll get to somebody who's probably the best turf filly. Uh, later uh, at the mile and then the other one I wanted to mention from Whitney weekend was Naughty Gale winning the uh, Adirondack for 86 year old legendary Hall of Fame trainer Dwayne Lucas we've been sort of talking to even before the meet started, the fact that he's here with a string of horses as opposed to just, you know, picking spots and shipping in from Kentucky. Um, before the meet started, he had two two year old fillies that he really was high on. One was Summer Promise and the other one was Naughty Gal. Summer Promise finished second in the Skylerville and he said, in retrospect, he blames himself for not having her quite fit enough for that race and her needing a race over the track. Um, so she'll come back in the spinaway later in the meet. But in the meantime, Naughty Gale won the Adirondack last weekend, uh, the other two-year-old filly that he was really high on. And this was a very, very popular victory for the fans who recognized Wayne in his, his black aviator sunglasses and his white big white cowboy hat and walking down the steps to the winner's circle. is a familiar scene we've seen for decades now. It was just really cool to see him get get down there and, and win one of the big ones. And he had a great quote afterwards where he said, all this means is I'm outlasting all these guys because he's won seven Adirondacks going back to, like, 1985. Um, and it's been a while. It's been 2005 since he won that race. But he's back. <laughs> Not that he ever won away. But it was just kind of very familiar scene to see him walking into the winner's circle, and certainly the fans appreciated it.
0: And, of course, he they, they had a ridiculous, they got a ridiculously wide trip off the turn. What happened there?
1: Well, a couple things happened. I mean, I think she ran a little greenly. I mean, these two-year-old fillies are still relatively inexperienced race-wise. And also, Wayne said Luis Sayas, the jockey, kind of felt her wanting to go that way. So he kind of let her do what she wanted, and she was almost out on the Union Avenue. (laughs) So why? I mean, it it was kind of funny to see because she's out way, way, I mean, Louise had told Wayne that um, the rail was not the place to be, and I had joked to a friend of mine afterwards, I was like, well, she was almost on the other rail, (laughs) outside rail, Um, which of course was an exaggeration, but it was just funny to see her all by herself in the middle of the track and this clump of horses down on the rail duking it out. and, and. when when she first did that, she kind of ran a tangent, like a straight line off the turn, instead of a curve. You know, you know, sticking to the curvature of the the bend there. And uh, I thought, man, this is going to cost her. She's going to be by far the best horse in the race. And this is going to cost her just that trip. She probably ran an extra. Sixteenth of a mile than the others just based on the geometry of her trip. And uh, she wound up winning it anyway by two lengths or whatever it was, so clearly the best. And, uh, you know, we probably won't see her back in the Spinaway because it'll be too quick, but um, definitely one to keep an eye on heading into the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile Fillies eventually. Yeah. So it was, was kind of interesting to see, and at first I was like, oh, man, like Mark Cassie, who trained the second-place finisher, said, well, at that point, I don't know if we, the Canadian's horse was down on the rail. He said, I, at that point, I wasn't sure if maybe we were in front or I didn't know who was in front at that point because <laughs> they were so widely separated. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was kind of a fun. It, performance to see just because she she didn't help do herself any favors and still was much the best so uh, we will look forward to seeing her later in the Breeders Cup Juvenile Phillies. Yeah.
0: Getting back to life is good uh, he ran a great race and you know was deserving to, to win the Whitney but uh, some post-rate questions about i Ortiz's Ortiz's uh, riding tactics what 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 was uh, the complaint? Well, the complaint, well, there was no
1: complaint, which is one of my complaints. Um, there, I thought there should have been a steward's inquiry, and I don't think anything would have come of it. Um, what happened was, life is good, did his usual thing. He blasted out of the starting gate, established the lead like a length or two or so, whatever it was, down the back stretch, um, And then it was just a matter of whether his speed and his great cruising um, ability would carry him to the finish line of, over a mile and an eighth. Um, against a pretty good field, too, that included Olympiad, who was five for five this year, High Rod Charlie, who's been just banging heads in all the big races without anything to show for it. Um, Happy Saber is an in- interesting horse um, who's a Todd Fletcher trained stable mate of Life is Good. Um, what happened was when they got in at, to the, at the eighth pole, Life is Good was ahead of. Uh, Happy Saver on the outside, Happy Saver was on the rail, looked like Happy Saver was trying to make a move under John Velasquez um, on the rail, never really threatened Life is Good, but in the meantime, Life is Good was clear past Happy Saver, and then I I ran Ortiz steered him toward the rail in front of... Happy Saver, at which point immediately John Velazquez steered Happy Saver to the outside, and it looked kind of funky. It looked like a cutoff if you saw it from, you know, the pan view It was hard to tell, which is not a true side view. Um, if you saw the side view, you would have been able to see how clear Life is Good was ahead of Happy Saver. Just the fact that John Velasquez chose to steer Happy Saver away from the rail, you could see his head turn, the horse's head turn, you know, not 45 degrees, but it was definitely clearly an angle. And then he got out into the tooth path and chased Life is Good, and of course wasn't going to catch him because Life is Good was the best horse in the race. Um, and he winds up winning by two lengths or whatever it was, two and a quarter. Hot Rod Charlie was threatening Happy Saver for second at the wire and finished a neck or something like that in third. Um, but I thought that stewards should have looked at it. So there should have been a Stewart's inquiry because it, it, clearly something happened there. Um, ultimately, I looked at this thing 25 times, and that's not an exaggeration, and I'm convinced that he was clear enough that he was well within his rights, and he meaning Iran Ortiz, he was well within his rights to make that move, but it was just unnecessary, and it created a situation that, that just didn't need to happen. Um, I thought the stewards didn't, looked should have looked at it at least. And it probably wouldn't have taken them long to decide, all right, nothing bad or dangerous happened here. Um, But just from an appearance standpoint, it just seemed kind of funky that nobody chose. And and of course, John Velazquez on Happy Saver didn't bother lodging a jockey's objection. And because for one thing, I mean, it's sort of like in NASCAR where there's two cars on the same team. Yeah, they're competing against each other. Um, but you hear about that all the time, where they're on the same team, so they're not going to, you know. John Velazquez is two Todd Pletcher-trained horses. He's been, you know, a teammate of Pletcher's for decades now. He's not going to complain about it. And the, the quote from John, which I believe afterwards, um, he said, you know, there, I didn't check up. It might have looked bad, but really, we just swapped positions, you know, horizontally, and. Um, he said he said, Life is good was two lengths clear of happy Saber. that might have been a little bit of an exaggeration, but he was definitely clear um after me watching it a million times um so I don't think there was you know nothing would have happened if there was a steward's inquiry. I just thought they should have looked at it just to tell the betting public that yes, we recognize that something deserved to be looked at here. So, um, you know, from an optics standpoint, it was kind of bad. Ultimately, I don't think there was anything there that, that would have merited a disqualification, not even close. Now, if I Rod Charlie catches happy saver for second place money, that's a little bit different story because now you're what, now you're introducing the concept of did what I did on life is good affect the result of the race. And it's a significant, in a million dollar race, the difference between second and third place money is significant. I mean, look at the PGA Tour. If you miss a putt on the 18th hole on the Sunday and you drop from sec, second to third place, that's a, that's a pretty good chunk of change difference right there. Um, but it didn't come to that because Happy Saver ran a great race and, and kept his head in front of High uh, Rod Charlie, you know, was, kind of charging on the outside and and closing grounds, Um, got to the wire in second place, Happy Saver did, so everybody's happy, to which there was much rejoicing, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I just thought, it it just optically, it it, it didn't look good. And and speaking of optics, by the way, um, I don't know whose call this was, but life is good, gallops out, and then he comes back, and NBC had a studio tent set up on the, the uh, clubhouse turn, and they, and again, I don't know whose call this was, but they made Life is Good stand there so that Jerry Bailey could interview Irad Ortiz in the saddle, like right on the rail, right at the studio there, live on NBC. Meanwhile, you got a horse who just ran his eyeballs out on a 90-whatever degree day in the humidity, and having to stand there, it is not you know if you've ever run in a road race as a human as i have last thing you want to do after you ran a hard effort is just stand around you yeah. keep moving because lactic acid's building up and um and something you don't see every day by the time they finally let irad go from this interview um, life is good comes back it took forever for him We were wondering what the hell are they doing over there and life is good finally gets back and Todd Pletcher himself actually hosed the horse out off, which you don't see very often. So I'm sure he was over there wondering, come on, get my horse over here so we can get him cooled off and everything. Um, so I, that, that was something, that, that was just like a sort of asterisk to the whole Whitney that kind of pissed off a lot of people i mean twitter people were were criticizing it of course as well as the irad move i mean you saw everything every you know and it's twitter um but you saw every reaction to all the way up to irad should be suspended for a month and and you know it's twitter so you're going to see all the full spectrum of reaction uh, i just go back to my eyes i'll trust my own eyes that he was clear of happy saver and didn't do anything um that merited a disqualification. It, it looked it looked worse than it was. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, we did have an inquest though in the test. The the, the race before the Whitney, uh, there was some bumping there toward the end.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people brought that up too. And um, that was when the seventeen to one Tri Town Lady beat Madeira, which was a huge, huge upset. Madeira was two to five on the morning line, and I haven't gone back and looked at that one. Um, uh, but yeah, I know there was some. I'll have to go back and look at the head on if I can to see what the bumping was. But, um, you know, usually if they looked at it and didn't see anything that merited a disqualification, I, you know, I guess we're going to have to trust the stewards. But, it, you know, you see that all the time where there's maybe a little swap in a paint in, in the stretch. Um, a couple of years ago, it was Abel Tasman against a late, um, and at the time, and Mike Smith was on Able Tasman in in uh, I don't know it was the Ballerina or some race like that, and where there was some banging going on, or the personal incident might have been, um, and I know a lot of people were outraged by that, but you know some old school people said, you know what, that's just race riding. Sometimes it gets rough, and so maybe maybe the test was a similar situation. I'll have to go back and look at that one again because I know there was some question.
0: Um, yeah, I, mean, I know. On the broadcast, they were saying they didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. Is one of those? I think one of the horses, like, sort of st- steered into the situation. But they said, I mean, yeah. it didn't take long for the inquest. I mean, they they were we saw right. jockeys being uh, talking to. But students. at
1: least they did look at it. That's my whole point. Going back to the Whitney is, I mean, at least look at it so that the betting public and they're pissed off people and. Um, so at least the betting public knows that you you guys are aware of this and, and you know, made sure all your I's were dotted and T's were crossed before you post the official result. And that's my complaint. I don't think they would have, they might, you know, them looking at it might have lasted as short of a time as, the, as it took them to look at the test. That's fine. But at least look at it, because I think it gives some assurance to the public that you're, you're aware that something happened there that that merits uh kind of a, a second look uh, that's all i'm saying
0: yeah. well let's just look ahead for this week as we mentioned at the top here is like sort of a quiet week as far as in terms of stake it's a quiet week yeah, uh, chad brown's philly regal glory is looking to continue her quest for an end of season championship uh she's going to run against the males and the four-star dave yeah
1: um and this is really really good stuff if you're going to have one race be the spotlight, and I'll get to the Saratoga special too, because that's kind of cool. Um, seeing the regal glory run against the males in the four star Dave is kind of something you, you want to keep an eye on. Now, Chad had uh, four, horse, four of the six horses in the Diana field, and they went one, two, three, four, if you recall, um, on opening weekend with In Italian winning that one. And meanwhile, that's great, but the best turf filly that he has in his barn, it wasn't even in that race, and that's who we're going to see this weekend in Regal Glory, who um, has done nothing wrong this year going all the way back to her victory in the Pegasus World Cup, uh, turf invitational, since then she's won two straight grade ones, Um, Jenny Wiley in the Just a Game on Belmont Stakes Day, which is the same distance as a mile. Um, people might not remember, but for a long time, the four-star Dave was a mile and sixteen. and when Wise Dan was winning back-to-back Horse of the Year um, Eclipse Awards uh, championships, um, his trainer, Charlie Lopressi, had kind of petitioned Naira to drop the four-star Dave back from, you know, it had already been upgraded to a grade one, I believe, um, or maybe it happened the same time, that, the year after Wise Dan won it the first time. But they dropped it from a mile and sixteen a mile to, you know, kind of, that was Wise Dan's wheelhouse at the time, and they, want, they wanted to attract this horse, so, and it has remained a mile since then, and the reason Chad is running against Nails in this race is because it's a mile distance, and Regal Glory is just absolutely dynamite, lights out at a mile, um, she's run 19 times in her career, and 12 of them have been at a mile, and she's won seven of those and finished, um, second three times so this is it's a distance thing more than he and you know it is unusual to see females running against males in the big races here but we've already seen Nest finish great uh great second place in the belmont and secret Oath um you know r- ran pretty well and had a rough chip in the preakness um so it, it does happen um but, uh, you know, in this case, it's it, gender basically has nothing to do with it. They've got a grade one at a mile at Saratoga. Riga Glory is going to be in there. <laughs> so um, we'll look forward to that. That's, and then the other highlight this weekend, um, Saratoga Special, which is the second wave of two-year-old, uh, male dirt. Yeah, it's not restricted to males, but that's all you're going to see is males in this race because, you know, as as we've already mentioned, Naughty Gale ran in the uh, Adirondack for restricted to fillies. Um, we're going to see a horse named Golfport in Saratoga Special on Saturday also, and uh, he might be the best two-year-old Colt in the country right now. He's going to be a very, very short price in this race off of two starts that he's won by a combined over 19 lengths. Um, broke his maiden at Churchill Downs and then came back in the Bashford Manor at Churchill Downs, which is like their big um, spring uh, stage race for two-year-olds. Uh, um, won that baby by seven and a quarter lengths at odds of one to five. So God knows what the odds are going to be on this guy in, uh, um, in the Saratoga Special on Saturday, trained by Steve Asmussen. And I-, I think based off of that um, – He's gotta be considered the best two-year-old, uh, male in the country. So we're gonna get to see him a little bit too. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, but otherwise, it's a pretty quiet week, uh, especially relative compared to, uh, to last week. And we're, we're certainly welcoming, welcoming a relief in the weather and, um, yeah, we get a little bit of relief work-wise, too, just because we don't have to pay attention. and don't have, We're not juggling as many balls this week as we were last week. So so we, we welcome a little bit of a breather before it gets nuts again up here.
0: Well, sounds good, Mike. We appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll do this again next week. All right, terrific. Thanks, Ken. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, that's Mike McGatid. We'll talk Albany Empire football next here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of the Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Naira Racing Analysts Anthony Stabile and Andy Serling, and direct links to Naira bets. Check out At the Track at www.dailygazette.com slash at the track.
2: Hi, I'm Union Hockey alumni Bill Railton. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken
0: Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here at uh, Times Union Center in Albany as the Albany Empire gets set for Saturday's uh, na- national arena league championship game against the carolina cobras and joining me now is the head coach of the empire tom and oz tom welcome back to the podcast and how excited are you are for saturday
2: well thanks for having me back i um, very excited can't wait wish it was thursday <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we guess obviously got some time here as we talk here on monday uh you faced the cobras three times this year unfortunately for the empire they lost all three times what is it going to take to turn that around on Saturday?
2: Well, first of all, um, records don't count at this point. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't matter um, what happened in the past. It's all about Saturday. Um, I feel very confident that certain circumstances attributed to those three losses, some in our control, some out of our control, and we feel confident if we play our best game, that uh, will be victorious.
0: Yeah, all the three games are pretty close so from looking at the scores. What, is, what, is, what do you talk about, you know, things maybe some were out of your control, some were in your control. What do you have for the things that were are in your control, what do you have to do to improve?
2: Um, just play through some adversity, um, play through some situations that occurred um, that were out of our control and not let that affect how we continue on playing the game. We lost three games. Um, you know, two by eight and one by three. So um, we don't feel like at any one time where we ever dominated or anything like that. We just have to play four good quarters.
0: Yeah. Uh, to be able to have this game here at Times junior I'm oh, sorry, MVP, i got to get right. used to <laughs> the name. Uh, what is it going to take to uh, have that home crowd? I mean, how important is that?
2: Oh, it's always important. I mean, home field advantage, um the fact that we don't have to travel, haven't had to travel through the playoffs, um, being home not only with our crowd, but being able to sleep in your own bed and eat your own food and do all those things make a real difference in at game time.
0: Uh, what have been the key elements of your team this year?
2: I think um, our ability um, to... Um, we're, we're not a fast-starting team for whatever reason. Trust me, I've tried to fix that, but... Um, our ability to play and, and continue to um, to grind through a game, and then uh, fight through any adversity there towards uh, halftime, and usually come out and be uh, a fairly dominant team in the second half.
0: Yeah. Uh, your quarterback Sam Castronava, how has he been playing this year?
2: He's been playing great. I mean, he's had a, you know an all-star performance um, with his feet, also with his arm. And it's great to see Sam bounce back from uh, his season last year um, and doing accomplishing the things he's doing at such a high level.
0: Uh, yeah, doing some research, looking at the standings, you guys played two fewer games than Carolina. Why was that? Well, they they had decided
2: that they were going to play 14 because they had some obligations to season ticket holders uh, through the pandemic, and they owed some games to their fan base and season ticket holders um, We made it clear that we would only work under a winning percentage to allow it. Everyone agreed to that, and uh, that's where we're at.
0: Of course, they also spoiled your um, championship celebration at the beginning of the season. Uh, How much would it be nice to get some revenge and uh, have a championship celebration here?
2: Well, that's okay. They got to celebrate something we are kind of diminish a little bit of what we had already won. Um, the idea is that obviously uh, this trumps all that.
0: So, Well, Tom, good luck on Saturday and uh, see you the Empire bring home another championship. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And go Empire. I'm here with offensive lineman and defensive lineman Harold Love. Uh, Harold, uh, how excited are you for Saturday?
3: Oh, man, excitement ain't the word, man. Uh, woke up this morning because it's the first Monday of the first week and we actually get to start preparing for everybody. So... Excitement's is not the word, man. I, got, I get goosebumps just from talking about it. So I'm just ready to get rock and rolling, baby. Yeah,
0: You've played Carolina three times this year, mm-hmm. and unfortunately for the Empire, three losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will it take to get over the hump and you know, get the one win that's the most important?
3: Well, every day is about maturing. And with this team, we mature so much over the season. And so um, progress is the best thing. So if we take one step backwards, we definitely take us two steps forward. So right now, it's an achievement. You know, we're a team that beat us three times. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. But to beat four times, that's a hard thing to do. So right now, like you said, we take it as a challenge, and it's an achievement. We're about to beat them at the time when it really counts for the ring.
0: How important is it to uh, have this game here at MVP
3: Arena? Uh, First of all, our fans are electrifying. Um, From the town to the community, we get great support. They deserve it. We deserve it. It's been an up-and-down season for us, but we secured number one. We maintain home field advantage, and so everybody deserve it. You say it's an up-and-down season. Why was it like that? Um understand we went through a whole month of losing, and for us to come back from a whole month of losing, dropping all the way down to the fourth, fifth seed, to regain first seed, I mean, that's an achievement. That's an achievement.
0: you feel you guys had that momentum going in there, even though you had the week off? Does that stunt the momentum a little bit?
3: Oh, not at all. We used to um, – not everybody has bye weeks. Carolina went through, what, I want to say 14 straight games.
0: Yeah, they played two more games than you guys. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. So um, this is their first bye week. We know how to handle a bye week. It comes with composure. So, like I said, I think the, from the coaching staff to our body, we, we, we're so ready to go.
0: And of course, it would be probably sweet revenge for you guys because Carolina was the opening night opponent here. You guys were celebrating the last year's championship, and they came in here and sort of ruined the party. How much would it be? How much fun would it be to have the party in front of them on Saturday night?
3: So this is just a good fact. Carolina started six and zero. We trying to finish six and zero. So it's a different story. However you tell it, we just trying to finish on top with the jury at the end. Appreciate your few minutes. Oh, thank you, baby. Hey.
0: Joining me now is uh, the quarterback of the Empire, Sam Castronova. Sam, uh, welcome to the podcast, and how excited are you for Saturday?
4: Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, very excited. Uh, one of the biggest games of my career, so we are we're very excited to get going Saturday. Wish it was Saturday right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, here's yeah, we talk on Monday, uh, you guys faced Carolina three times this year, and unfortunately for you guys, you lost all three games. Uh, what was the difference in those games?
4: Yeah, um, the first game they definitely came out and jumped on us. I, I unfortunately did not play the first game, but the next two uh, felt like we were. We we're right there with them, back and forth. There was one; the one game was 59-51, The other one was 59-56. We lost in the last-second field goal. So, just a few little things. We got. We. I feel like we've helped to clean up with the offense uh, since then, and uh, I think uh, think we got a good game plan going into Saturday.
0: How much momentum do you guys have coming into this game? You guys were rolling, uh, you know, win the, the the semifinal game here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So much. How much uh, momentum do you guys have going into Saturday?
4: I mean, I feel like we got a lot of momentum. I feel like we finished the uh, regular season as the as the best team, hottest team in the league. I think, like Love said, we won five in a row, so this would be six if we're able to... Uh take care of business in the championship so I think we got a lot of momentum and the fact that we got we're able to get the one seed and host it here in Albany is a big deal.
0: Yeah how important is that to be able to have that championship game here uh as opposed I mean obviously Carolina won more games but I'll say they played two more games than you guys did so yeah. and so basically on winning percentage you guys have home field.
4: Yeah uh, I mean it's 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 huge uh we uh we had a decent turnout last game for the semifinal, and we're hoping to have uh, more this week and uh, Albany. The fans have been great. They've been loud. They were a they were big help uh, last game to close out the Sharks. So uh, it's it's a huge deal to have home field advantage and and have that uh, momentum uh, here here in Albany. For you, you used to play
0: for Carolina. Uh, how much fun would it be for you to get revenge against your old team?
4: Uh, I mean, it would be a great feeling for sure, but uh, more focused on Taking care of business with, with my brothers up here. It's been a it's been a great year. We all have had a great time together, so it would just be pretty cool to go out on top like that.
0: Sam appreciate it for you and good luck on Saturday. Thank you. That's Thank you. Sam Castro. Guys, good to meet you. Sam Castro, the quarterback of the Empire. Coming up, I'll speak with Tim Kirkshin of ESPN. We'll talk some Major League Baseball, the uh, trade deadline from last Tuesday, and also the legacy of Vin Scully. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. All of us love sports. But not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good
4: for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State
1: Athletic
3: Administrators Association.
1: What's going on, everybody? My name is Freddie Coleman, host of ESPN Radio's Freddie and Fitzsimmons. And you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Shot.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. There were a flurry of deals at the Major League Baseball trading deadline last Tuesday, but by the end of the night, we were remembering a baseball broadcasting legend. Joining me now to talk about that is the man who was recently inducted, into the National Baseball Hall of Fame as the 2022 Baseball Writers Association's Career Excellence Award winner, Tim Kirkshin. Tim, uh, welcome back to the podcast and congratulations on the award. What does it mean to you when I say Hall of Famer Tim Kirkshin?
5: Well,. <laughs> Technically, I'm not a Hall of Famer. There's (laughs) a spot. (laughs)
0: You're a Hall of Famer.
5: (laughs) Well, thank you. There's a spot in the Hall of Fame for broadcasters and writers. I'm thrilled beyond words to be in there. It was an unforgettable weekend in Cooperstown. The last seven months, eight months since I won this award, have been just overpowering and overwhelming. It is. I am so honored to be a part of all this, and if I may. You know, three mentors in the business, Jason Stark, Dan Shaughnessy, Peter Gammons, were all in Cooperstown for induction weekend for the players and for when I got honored. And uh, to see them and to be with them, that that was about as good as it gets for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, your son was posting pictures on Twitter of you looking around you looked happy and you're just soaking it all in.
5: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, Sunday on the induction, um, Sunday, I was taking the bus over with all Hall of Famers on the bus, which was just (laughs) overwhelming for me. And there was like one seat left on the bus. and This very elegant, regal looking man uh, stood next to the seat, looked at me and said, "Uh, can I sit down here? And it was Sandy Koufax. Wow. So, I- I've interviewed Sandy before. I know Sandy Koufax, but I got 15 minutes just with him on the ride over to the induction. Uh, we talked mostly about basketball because he loves basketball, and so do I. Not like I love yeah. baseball. So that was just one little snapshot of just a tremendous weekend for me.
0: Well, that uh, meant you mentioned Sandy Koufax. That'll lead me into. Uh, Vin Scully, who passed away uh, late last Tuesday night at the age of 94 and just 67 years as the broadcaster for the Dodgers, both in Brooklyn and Los Angeles. Talk about what he was like, and he just is universally loved by everyone.
5: Yeah, he's the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. I'm not sure there's an argument there. He did it for 67 years. He's the greatest storyteller baseball has ever seen. His use of the language was absolutely breathtaking. His ability to weave stories into his play-by-play was unbelievable, and he always considered, like, I want to be a play-by-play guy who feels like He's sitting in the stands in between a bunch of baseball people. And I will we will talk about baseball, but we'll talk about other things going on in the ballpark around the world. And that was Vince's greatest gift is the ability to talk about other things while never losing track of the play by play. He was the absolute master at that. And you know, his other broadcasts from Fred would always joke that when Vince started to tell a story you know, the batter never grounded out to shortstop on the first pitch. The baseball gods always, always let Vin finish the story. There are several examples that I know myself about that, but I think that's what happens when you're the greatest broadcaster of all time.
0: I mean, uh, everybody remembers Milo Hamilton's call of uh, Hank Aaron's 715th career home run back on April 8, 1974, but it was Vin Scutley who put it in the context of the times that we were in back then in 74, where, you know, it was still, you know, race was an issue. Race is still an issue today, but it was much of an issue back in 1974. And I think I remember reading somewhere that his mom came up and just hugged him because she was afraid he was going to get attacked by somebody. And he, you know, she wanted to be there to protect. But the, with the way Vince Scully brought up what was going on, a, you know, a black man being saluted in the South uh, for you know, uh, breaking the home run of a white man. I mean, what, what, what that bring? His, his ability to bring the context into a, a special event was just incredible.
5: Yeah, and on that call, this is what Vin was also better than anyone else at: is he loved the cheering the sound of the crowd. So he was the best ever, whether it was for Sandy Koufax's perfect game or Kirk Gibson's homer or Bill Buckner's error. He would make the call, and then he would lay out and let the fans listen to the crowd cheering. He always felt that was the most important thing. It was way more important than any words that he used, and nobody used the words better than vin scully but on the hank aaron call he made the initial call and then he literally got out of his seat walked away from the microphone so people could just hear the cheering and then when he came back he said what you said a black man in the deep south and it was just one of the most remarkable calls ever and only vin scully could make that call
0: of course, you mentioned the Buckner call. Of course, the Kirk Gibson call. I mean, I can recite the Bill Buckner call uh, ad nauseum. I mean, just you know, behind the bag, he gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. Just the excitement in his voice. And, of course, the Kirk Gibson home run in 1988 in Game 1 of the World Series. Kirk Gibson was not expected to even play in that. It's that dramatic home run of Elvis Eckersley. And in the year of the impossible, the improbable was happening. He just always found the right words.
5: Yeah. Again, he was the best wordsmith ever to do this. His timing was impeccable, and everything about him was impeccable. His preparation—he used to routinely go visit the manager of the team coming in, or when he was on the road, and he would go in and and ask, um, you know, can I sit for five minutes? So, and I want you to tell me about your team. These are the things that Vin did all the time. And of course, he was always immaculately dressed. And I was told once that he would go into the press box and he would take off his sport coat occasionally in the press box where he's announcing from. But if he ever left the press box to go up to get something to eat or to go to the bathroom or get a drink, he would always put his sport coat back on because he wanted everyone to realize how what professional people look like when they're calling a major league game
0: yeah and of course uh vin scully was the man who called the catch in uh, the the 40, 40 49ers against the dallas cowboys in the 1981 nfc championship game a lot of people thought it was a summer matter but it was actually uh vin scully and hank stram and scully called that well as well
5: Yeah, and he was great on football, he was great on golf, he was great at whatever he tried, because again, his mastery of the English language is what always got to me, me being a writer, I was just always dazzled by the words he used and the timing he had.
0: Yes. Well, let's talk about what happened uh, earlier that uh, Tuesday with the trade deadline, and My goodness, the San Diego Padres won the the deals with the blockbuster getting uh, Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals. Does this make the Padres a favorite to win their first World Series? Uh,
5: No, I don't think so. I think the Dodgers are the best team. Last I looked, the Dodgers have won 26 out of the last 31 games. The Dodgers lead the league in ERA, and they have five. Quality pitchers coming off the injured list in the next month and a half, which is only going to make their pitching better. I think they have the best lineup in the national league as they lead the league in run scored. Their defense is elite. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the National League, and they're close ones, and the Padres have now entered the conversation. I don't think they had a chance to go to the World Series. Before this trade, they were two bats short, for me at least, and they went out and got the two best hitters available. Juan Soto, who might be the best hitter in the game, and Josh Bell, who's going to play first base every day. And their pitching is really good too, but in that stacked National League, you've got the elite Dodgers, you've got the Padres, and you've got the Mets and the Braves who are awfully good also. Yeah. That's going to be one of the great playoffs ever is the National League in 2022.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about the Mets in just a moment, but um, let's move over to the American League with the Yankees. Uh, I mean, they're cruising to uh, you know, probably show down with the Astros in the uh, league championship series. But uh, there's they, sort of a curious deal in the trading uh, starting pitcher Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis. Do you, did they feel he was expendable after acquiring Frankie Montas from Oakland? And did the Yankees starting staff get better?
5: Yeah, look, I like what the Yankees did at the trade deadline, but I am confused by the Jordan Montgomery trade. He had a very good first half of the season. They did upgrade their defense with Harrison Bader, and just like they upgraded their infield defense in the offseason, and that has paid enormous dividends. Now they've upgraded their outfield with Bader and Benintendi in the outfield, but I think they're a starting pitcher short now without Montgomery and with you know Severino not, uh, on the injured list, um, and Jamison Tyone hasn't been great lately, and. Frankly, neither has Garrett Cole, so I think the Yankees are still the best team in the American League, but that that one confused me a little bit, because you can't have enough starting pitching, and they're going to need four top-flight starters uh, for the postseason, and trading away one of them was confusing, but Frankie Montas is really going to help. He has a great strikeout rate and ground ball rate, and that bodes well for anyone who pitches uh, half his games at Yankee Stadium.
0: Yeah. Of course, uh, the Yankees ended the Joey Gallo experiment after acquiring him from last year from Texas. He just struggled, continued into this year. They sent him off to the Dodgers. Where did it go wrong for Gallo?
5: Well, I think it was more mental and emotional in New York than it was mechanical. We all know he has a high strikeout rate, high swing uh, miss rate, but it was... It was way too high in New York, and uh, the way it was explained to me by a couple people who would know is that with each strikeout, with each out that he made, he, he pressured himself even more. He, was, he didn't want to be seen around town anywhere because he was embarrassed with the way he was playing. So I, I think, from what I've been told, he, he will be much better with the Dodgers just getting out of New York out of a situation that he just couldn't climb himself out of and it just means he cares and he's trying too hard and he just felt like he was letting everyone down and that just snowballed that as much as anything else is why he struggled so
0: badly with the Yankees Aaron Judd's gonna have himself a payday isn't he
5: yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna get a contract, I believe, that's gonna start with a three and not a two. He <laughs> he, he turned down two hundred thirteen million dollar extension, and I certainly understand why. But now it it enters it opens up a fascinating possibility. Let's say he hits sixty two homers. Let's say the Yankees win the World Series. Let's say he make he wins the MVP. How in the world are the Yankees going to let a great, solid citizen like him get away from them? If he wins the MVP, it's more homers than Roger Maris, and they win the World Series for the first time since 2009. Mm -hmm. I I find all of that hard to believe if if all of that happens, and yet all sorts of teams are going to be interested in him because he is a great, great player having his best season.
0: Yeah. Let's move across town to the Mets, and they made some moves and tried to shore up their designated hitter spot, but their biggest acquisition, not they didn't have to give up a player. They got Jacob DeGrom back. How big was that for them, and will it be enough to get them to the World Series?
5: Well, they're good enough to go to and win the World Series with the team they have now, but... It's going to take DeGrom not just pitching, but pitching a lot and pitching really well. I think he's going to have to return to Jacob DeGrom form if they're going to beat, say, the Dodgers in the National League. And he showed signs of that in the minor league, certainly this year, and in his first start. If if he can stay healthy, whenever he's healthy, he's really good. And he's thrown 100 miles an hour with tremendous movement and tremendous location. So I'm going to guess that he pitches exceptionally well the rest of the year and in October, but always if he can stay healthy.
0: Yeah. We've got some Red Sox fans here in the Capital Region. They have to be wondering what the heck are they're doing with with some of the moves they made.
5: Yeah, I'm a little confused by the Red Sox also. Um, I understand they're still in the pennant race. They're still in the wild-card race, and they, they can't punt on a season when they're the Red Sox, and they're technically still in the race. But having said that, I'm confused why they traded Christian Vasquez. If you're going to get Eric Cosmer and Tommy Pham, and you're going to try to upgrade your team, I don't understand why you traded your everyday catcher. Now... Maybe they don't have a very good chance of making it with the injuries they have to their rotation. And now to Trevor Story, uh, they are really missing him, especially defensively at second. But um, I'm a little confused. We'll see where the Red Sox go from here. But uh, they have a chance because a bunch of teams in front of them, not all of them are super solid. So it should be really interesting to see how this plays out for the Red Sox.
0: Who won the uh, trade deadline?
5: Well, the Padres definitely won the trade deadline because they got Juan Soto, who's the best hitter available. They got Josh Bell, who's the second-best hitter available. And they got Josh Hader, who was the best closer, the best reliever, and the best pitcher available. And to get all three of them is just remarkable. Now, they gutted a beautiful farm system to do it. But when you're the San Diego Padres and you've only been to the World Series twice and you've never won it, you're in the same division as the Dodgers and the Dodgers are loaded, if you're going to make a, a play, it's got to be bold. And A.J. Preller was as bold as I've ever seen him making those moves. Now we'll see if it all works out. Yeah.
0: Uh, My son Steve and I were chatting when I was telling him that uh, I was going to have you on the podcast, and he had a question for you. He's looking ahead to free agency, and uh, Trey Turner, you think the Phillies can sign the Dodgers shortstop?
5: Well, they certainly need a shortstop from what I can tell, but Trey Turner is going to get a ton of money from somebody and the Dodgers are going to want him back because he has played so well, not just offensively, but defensively. And that speed just adds another element to everything. Um, I would say the Phillies have a chance because they have a little more money than people think. They certainly have a need, but I'm guessing the Dodgers are going to do everything they can to re-sign him. And the Dodgers have more money than the Phillies. The Dodgers have more money than anyone. So I would put them as the leader in those sweepstakes, but again, anything could happen.
0: Yeah, because we're, we're big Phillies fans, and Your thoughts uh, on the job Rob Thompson has done after Joe Girardi was fired? I mean, I I felt that they needed to make a move early in the season, especially after a couple of bad losses to the Mets. And I think Rob Thompson taking over, this team seems to be playing a lot more relaxed and having fun.
5: Yeah, Rob Thompson's done a good job. But I thought Joe Girardi did also. But it just speaks to where we are in today's game. Our players, after X number of years, whether it's 10, 5, or even 2, they just need to hear another voice, and that's the voice that Rob Thompson brought. And, yes, it's a little more relaxed there. They seem to be having a little bit more fun, and they got better at the trade deadline also with Noah Syndergaard and Edmundo Sosa and Brandon Marsh, David Robertson. They did a nice job. I think the Phillies are a playoff team, and they haven't been a playoff team
0: in many years. Yeah, it's been 11 years since we last uh, saw them in the playoffs. And, uh, of course, uh, and Ryan Howard blowing out his Achilles in Game 5 against the Cardinals in the Division Series, and everything's been down for it since. But, Tim, I appreciate a few minutes. Again, congratulations on uh, your induction in the Cooperstown. You're a Hall of Famer in my book. I don't care what anybody else says. You are a Hall of Famer in my book. And I uh, appreciate you coming back on. Let's talk uh, again soon okay Ken my pleasure thank you alright that's Tim Kirk I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing contest in just a moment you're listening to the Morning Shots podcast hey Saratoga horse racing fans you have a chance to win a $50 gift card to a Daily Gazette advertiser by playing the Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Course, and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to www.dailygazette.com slash pick 7 and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race the saratoga pick seven contest is run by the daily gazette advertising department and not affiliated with the daily gazette sports department
2: hi this is mark kestisher the voice of the nba on espn radio and proud member of the 518 from Guilderland high school you're listening to the parting shots podcast with
0: daily gazette associate sports editor ken shot now here's ken back to wrap up the podcast The Week 23 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Lynn Dobico of Schenectady. Lynn wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Lynn. The VIP winner was Nick Playtell of Grand Premier Tires. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam, Tom Minaz, Harold Love, Sam Castronova, and Tim Kirkshin for being a part of the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and I'd leave you with a tribute to pop singer and actress Olivia Newton-John, who passed away Monday at the age of 73. She burst onto the music scene in the 1970s with hits like Let Me Be There, If You Love Me, Let Me Know, and I Honestly Love You. In 1978, She starred opposite John Travolta in the movie Grease and had more hit songs like Hopelessly Devoted to You, Summer Nights, and You're the One That I Want. Newton John shed her goody two-shoe image in 1981 with the song and video, Physical, the biggest hit of her career. I leave you with a snippet of one of my favorite songs of hers that came from the 1980s movie Xanadu. It was a flop, unfortunately, for her, but the song was a great one. It's called Magic. Rest in peace, Olivia.